Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. I think the thing that we love the most at Outsports is sharing stories of LGBTQ athletes, particularly athletes that our readers and listeners may have never heard of before. If you have been following Matt Rittenhouse on Instagram or you've stumbled across his profile, he has not hidden for years that he's gay and that he's a former elite level athlete. He competed on the international stage in speed skating. And when we started talking on Instagram and I said, you know, I know you haven't competed in many years, but if you want to share your story, we'd love to share it with you. He jumped at the chance because he understands that for every story that's told, somebody else is positively affected by it. Like we say at Outsports, courage is contagious. I talk with Matt about aiming for the Olympics, the struggles of coming out in his sport of speed skating, uh, going to college at the same time trying to compete in a non-NCAA sport, and also what his life like is today. An openly gay man in New York City, though right now he is in Lake Tahoe skiing every day. Anyhow, I hope you enjoy my conversation with former speed skater Matt Rittenhouse. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. And I can see you are in a a chalet. Uh, I, I know you're in Lake Tahoe. What prompted the move from New York to Lake Tahoe? Yeah, well, it's not a permanent move, um, but I have some family that live in, they live in the Bay Area and they have a house um, in Lake Tahoe that they ski out of. So I thought, you know, when is a better time to spend a couple weeks and just, I don't know, stay up, live in Lake Tahoe. I'm a big skier. um, So I think it's, I mean, I'm work from home, I think kind of indefinitely. So I just took the opportunity to go to Lake Tahoe for, you know, I've been here for two weeks. I might push it out to three or four. Um, it's pretty awesome here. I, I, how glad are you that you're not in New York City right now? I'm super glad I'm not in New York City anymore. You know, New York City is not dead as some people claim it is. The summer was amazing, but it's kind of shutting down again this winter. So I'm happy to have an escape. Well, at least when you get two feet of snow in Lake Tahoe, you can actually do something with it. In New York, you can build a snowman and then you just have to deal with slosh for the next two weeks. Right, exactly. And we got, I think, six feet last week. So it's been crazy. Six feet of snow. That's great. People on the East Coast are like, that's impossible. But people on the West Coast, yep, that's a snowstorm. Yeah, seriously. Uh, well, I know you're, you're skiing now, but you, you started years ago as a speed skater. And just kind of talk about how you ended up in speed skating, because it's not like they're a bunch of high school speed skating teams. Yeah, totally. Um, so I ended up in speed skating. I actually was born and kind of raised in Los Angeles and then moved to New York when I was about 12 years old, upstate New York, Saratoga Springs. Really randomly, Saratoga Springs has a really um, great, just like, local club that a lot of Olympians have um, come out of. My parents, it's a story I kind of always tell, but my parents like signed me up for skating lessons. And I kept asking the other girls who I was like skating next to in figure skates if they wanted to race. And someone was like, you know, there's a speed skating club like at this rink. And my parents were like, oh, well, let's sign him up and see how that goes. And kind of the, and the rest was history. I skated all through um, high school and then 
yeah, went into, didn't really know if I was going to continue it after high school because it's not an NCAA sport, right? It's, you know, you kind of really have to dedicate your life to it if you want to keep going. Uh, but I made my first junior World Cup team while I was at uh, Northeastern University in Boston and decided to, you know, really pursue this and go for the Olympics. So what kind of sacrifices are you making competing in a non-collegiate sport while you're in college? Well, it's, it's definitely difficult. So it was dif difficult when I was at Northeastern because it which wasn't really recognized as a sport. So you, of course, have your um, teachers who are really, are, who are flexible and some who aren't flexible, right? So it was just kind of like balancing when you can take classes, when you can't. I took a lot of summer classes. Also, you know, a lot of times in the fall, I wasn't training, I wasn't taking that many classes. Um, but I was lucky because I went to, I ended up getting my degree from the University of Utah. And there's a ton of winter Olympians that train out of that school just because that's where all the facilities are. So the teaching staff and everybody there was super flexible with, you know, continuing your education there. And then I was training 40 hours a week. So I was very much a commuter student coming in, taking my class or two, going back to their oval. You're in school training all this time traveling uh, around competing where is your head on dating at that point is is that even on the radar screen were you were you dating guys girls neither sure well it was so not on my radar screen right i guess um I knew I was gay, I mean, early on in my life, but it was kind of one of these things where I, I mean, I wasn't comfortable with my sexuality until I was about 23 or, or 22, 23 years old. So I definitely wasn't dating. Um, and, you know, I think skating was kind of my excuse to not be dating a lot of times. It was like, oh, I'm too busy. But in reality, it was just, I was kind of, you know, too afraid to probably date the person I wanted to date. I remember in high school and college, I was constantly pouring myself into activities. It was the school newspaper and yearbook and track and field and drama. And then in college, it was a fraternity and some politics. And it was, it was a convenient way to avoid dating. And even though I did, I did date a couple of girls in college, it was still, it was a good cover for a long time. And, and I guess, you know, looking back at it like subconsciously, I'm like, oh yeah, that's what, exactly what was going on. Totally. I mean, at the time I wasn't thinking that that's what I was doing, but I could, of course, looking back on it, it's like, oh yeah, you just completely crammed your schedule with so much work and so many different activities that you weren't available to date. So you were aiming for the 2014 Olympics. Yes. Yeah, I, I was aiming for the 2014 Olympics. I tried out for it, but I, my, you know, I think real goal was the 2018 Winter Games. Um, 2014 was a, my first time at the Olympic trials, which was amazing. But 2018 was a year that, you know, I would have been 26 years old, which is kind of peak um, age for a long track speed skater. And at that point I would have been in the sport for long enough where it would have made sense. So. 2014, yes, going for it. But 2018 was where I really had my eyes, what, what I really had my eyes on. Well, but heading into 2014, there was a lot of talk about the Olympics being in Sochi, Russia, and there being uh, kind of a crackdown on what they considered to be kind of gay propaganda in the country. And uh, there was a lot of conversation about boycotting the games. And I'm just curious, because this is about the time where you started to really uh, discover who you were. And if that was on your radar screen at all, was, was, was what was going on in Russia and all that conversation about 
gay athletes and you're kind of I understand that you know maybe you didn't think you had the best shot to get there but was that on your mind yeah it was something I definitely thought about um I don't know if it really fully consumed me to be honest I was so focused on making the team myself and doing the best I could at trials so it was definitely something it wasn't it was in the back of my head and I know it was a point of conversation for a lot of people I try to not let it think about me at that. Also at that point in my life, I wasn't fully out. I was out to maybe a handful of people. So I very well could have made the decision to stay in the closet if I made the Olympics and, you know, just would have written it out because it would have been easier. Um, yeah. You said by that point that some people knew you were gay. Who was, who were, who were those people? Yeah, I kind of started um, slowly coming out of the closet probably when I was even like 22 or early 22 years old. Um, and I was met with, a, you know, some prejudice, I think, within the sport that was kind of unfortunate that kind of um, kept me in the closet for maybe longer than I would have liked to have been. Um, but, you know, I started coming out to close friends within the sport. You know, some of these people are still some of my best friends. Um, so that's who I was kind of, you know, figuring out who would be accepting and who wouldn't throughout, you know, my one-on-one -on -one conversations with them. So that this this homophobia that you said you encountered, that was before you came out or after you came out? I guess it was during the process of coming out. Um, I, funny that you mentioned like the Olympics being in Sochi, I became really good friends with a Russian skater. And I remember speaking to them about maybe me being gay. I just felt like we were having a drunken conversation and I brought it up and I was totally met with this um, idea that, you know, being a homosexual is a pathology and it wasn't, you know, natural. So I would kind of was like, whoa, 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 okay. Well, maybe I may, like, it was kind of one, I took a tiny step out of the closet and then immediately like jumped back in. Um, so you were, you were looking for people either consciously or subconsciously, who you thought might be receptive to it. What, what about this athlete made you think, okay, this might be a safe haven or were you just drunk? I was really close to this person, like just super close to this person. Yes, I think, um, you know, a couple of beers kind of, you know, loosens the lips a bit more, um, but I was really close to this person. I kind of thought it might have gone better than it did, but it didn't, that's fine. So after this, you, you come out to him, he says, oh, it's a pathology that's wrong. Did you continue to communicate? Were you friends still? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we lived and trained together. Um, so yeah, but like, what, whatever. I was kind of, I mean, I've been able to put my, um, you know, I guess I was able to put that identity away for so long. I could put it away for another couple months or another year. And how did you blow this off? Like, oh, no, I was just joking? <laughs> well, it, no, it just kind of, we just didn't talk about it. And so as, as time progressed, you know, you, you think that you have the safe person that you come out to doesn't go well. How do you go on to the next safe person and find them? I mean, I think it's really just like trial and error, right? I think I, you know, some of my best friends and still my best friends are skaters. And a lot of them were, um, you know, cool and receptive to it. And some weren't. And I think I got really depressed and lonely because of it, because it was at that age, I was 22 turning 23. I mean, you're really kind of entering your adulthood. You feel weird for being, you know, 
single and or just alone for your whole life and you kind of want that to change um so it was a bit of trial and error and and this was around that time around 2014 that you started telling people yeah so i guess so what really happened was after i think it was more or less after 2014 i have talked had a had a talk with a couple people before 2014 but i just really didn't want to deal with it right like I didn't want to deal with it. I was also skating really well. Um, I had a great season 2014, you know, I didn't make the Olympics, but I was skating the fastest I've ever skated. Uh, so I didn't really want to like ruin that. Um, and it, the whole coming out process kind of happened after the winter Olympics, you know, I was fully in the mindset that I was going to spend another four years doing this to make the 2018 winter Olympic games. Um, but after the Olympics, I think just like my general depression and anxiety around, you know, being closeted and holding this secret, this burden for so long, kind of just did a real toll on my mental health. What you just said is so interesting and revealing of the entire process of athletes at that level coming out. You said you were skating really well, and just didn't want to mess with it. And I imagine that that's where a lot of professional male athletes are. You know, I just, I'm on an NFL team right now. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm battling for first string. I'm running as well as I have. I, I really don't want to mess with this. And maybe it's not that you think there's going to be some overwhelmingly bad response. It's just, I could put this on the back burner and really focus on my sport. Yeah, totally. I mean, and so that's what I thought I was doing like putting in the back burner, really focusing on my sport. But I think in reality and looking back on the whole situation, I was doing more damage than good because I was just, you know, kind of not dealing with this, making me, it was making me depressed. It was making me lonely and anxious and all of that kind of, you know, got, it got all built up and it, it was, yeah, it totally did damages to my mental health. I think my depression got bad because I was so closeted and afraid to come out. Um, so it, it was good in the moment, but I think long-term, I like, I kind of wish I had a bit more, um, I don't know, courage or chutzpah to, I don't come out. How bad did the, how bad did the depression get? I mean, it was not, it was bad. I was totally, totally depressed, um, but I was kind but, I think what happened with it when something like that happens and you, you, so your performance starts to go down, right? So like when you, if you're, I mean, training and competing at that level, you need to be in perfect physical condition and mental condition. And if your brain's not working well and you're feeling off or you're feeling down, you're not gonna skate well. And it kind of became this thing where I wasn't skating well coming into 2015 and the lows were a lot lower, right? Because when you're not skating well, you're disappointed and ashamed of yourself as an athlete. But if you're hiding in the closet, you're also ashamed of yourself as a person. So it just, it, it wasn't going super well. And I um, actually, it was, it was kind of unfortunate because I didn't feel, I talked to some like therapists um, within who helped out our sport, who was designated by um, the USOC. and. I kind of um, didn't get like the best responses when I was coming out to these to this person, and it kind of just like put such a bad taste in my mouth um, about you know I think just my general being. 
this was a therapist who you had access to through U.S. Speed Skating or the USOC? So, I mean, it's through U.S. Speed Skating, but I think they're assigned by the USOC. Um, I mean, what I was- happened? What was that? What was that experience like? Yeah, I was basically, I was super, super depressed. I wasn't skating well um, at all. And I kind of had this like meeting with him and we've chatted about stuff before. He, um, and I told him I was gay. I was like, I think I'm gay, right? And his first response that came out as words was, well, of course you are with a haircut like that. And I was just like completely flabbergasted and dumbfounded and embarrassed that I even went to this person and had a response like that. And also a couple other things had happened like leading up to that point. Um, I came out to a close um, friend on the team and speed skating is a, it's very, it's, it has a kind of conservative base. There's a lot of people from the, you know, the Midwest and the Bible Belt that, you know, partake, partake in speed skating. And I got like this long winded letter about how I'm, she's nervous for my soul. And I'm afraid as she's afraid I'm going to go to hell. And it kind of all of these things were happening where I just didn't feel totally comfortable. Um, so, yeah. Well, the problem is Matt, you do have nice hair. Well, this well actually he he cursed with it. He kind of had a point too because I used to wear my hair back and like kind of pull it up in like a little like ninja bun, which was like such a not a good look, but it was it was a lot of hair. (laughs) It was really your fault. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. Yeah, totally. This is still we have not even reached the 2018 uh, Olympic trials yet. This is all between the two Olympic trials. Is that right? Sure, but I didn't even make the 2018 Olympic trials. I um, I quit before then. Why? I felt like I felt like I would have been a happier person outside of the sport. Um, is what I felt. Basically, I wanted to always, you know, finish my college degree and have a professional career. Speed skating is amazing, but it's hard to make a long-term income out of it. Um, and I just felt, you know, I think I was full, I was totally accepted by most people within the sport, but there was just something about me being able to kick the stigma of being gay in the sport that I just like, didn't really want to deal with. What do you mean? You thought you, you couldn't kick the stigma? I, I I couldn't kick my own stigma. I couldn't get over my own, like, I think, low self-esteem at that moment. And I thought it would be better to, you know, move on and close that chapter of my life and finish up school. I also got a really great internship at Converse that summer. So it was kind of like, am I gonna take this great internship through Nike or continue speed skating? And I kind of, you know, made the professional choice. How do you feel about that? I think about it a lot. Um, I'm not going to lie. I think the 2018 opening ceremony was really difficult for me to watch. Um, That's what I kind of set my eyes on. And that's what I set my life on. But I'm really happy. And like, I'm, yeah, I'm like, I'm living, I'm thriving. Like I'm having the best time of my life. Like right now, even in COVID, I mean, COVID is not totally fun. And I don't think any of us are totally thriving, but I'm really happy with the person I've become and turned out. So I don't really regret this decision because I'm currently happy with this outcome, but I think about it all the time, you know, what could have, what my life could have been 
if I stuck it out for another three years. And I guess I would have had that coveted title of Olympian. It's tough, you know, when I look back at my sports, um, not regrets, just, just, you know, wondering what had happened differently. It was, well, what if I didn't hit that hurdle? Or what if I had caught that ball, right? If there was, it's not, what if I had transformed my life for three years? And, and, and it's, it, it's, it's hard sometimes to think all I had to do was make this one little adjustment and I would have won or something different would have happened. But you're talking about a, a life commitment that you made. And yeah, it's, I, don't, I don't know if for me that would be harder or easier to reconcile. Yeah, I, I almost try to even not to think about it that much because if I do think about it, it would, I don't know if it would bum me out, but it would kind of detract me from what I'm currently working on um, or working towards, right? But yeah, it, it was definitely a choice that I made. But I also like, I think back what skating has given me so much, like my best friends in the world are still speed skaters. Like we, we're doing a big ski trip out in Montana in a couple of weeks, like, and the skating and, you know, traveling through skating, it has taught me so much and helped build so much of my character. It was an amazing, great time. Um, so that when I try to think back on it, that's what I focus on because I know that's, that's what is important. And that has really molded me into the core of the person that I am. You know, I think being gay is just a part of it. We know a few outspeed skaters, obviously Brittany Bow, Olympic medalist for the United States, Irene Voost, who is like the most decorated winter Olympian of all time, or if not very close. Yeah. Like Skellerup was in the 2010 Olympic games, barely missed 2014, who was out. I'm curious if if seeing, and I don't think Brittany was out at the time, but certainly Irene and, and Blake were seeing them while you were skating. Did that help seeing out athletes? Yeah, I also didn't even know Irene was out at that time. I, maybe I wasn't paying attention enough. Um, I definitely knew Blake was. And yes, it helped in a way. It, it totally helped in a way. It wasn't the you know reason for, it didn't, I don't think really fast track my coming out process maybe. Um, but it, I think it was kind of, you know, subconsciously, I think it was nice to kind of know that you have, you know, a friend or an ally if you ever were to make the games. Um, right? Like they weren't, to tech, I guess Irene was, but Blake was short track, I was long track. So we weren't together and, you know, training or even competing, but it is kind of, it is nice to know that you have, I think, um, a, someone in your community who is doing, um, or has the same goals as you do. This group of speed skating friends that you with now, are, are you the only gay guy or are there, are there others? I'm the only gay guy. I don't know if I know any out male long track speed skaters. Um, yeah, I don't know if, I don't think there's any of us. I, I'm look. I can't, I mean, even after, even retired ones, I don't think. Maybe I'm just not looped in, but I don't think there's, I think I'm it. Well, there's got to be somebody, right? There's got to be I mean, someone, right? I, I think it's a Belarusian <laughs> skater. Yeah, right. The odds are in our favor at this point. Yeah, we know there are a couple, right, from the last few years. You, Blake, uh, so there's got to be, there got to be more. Yeah. You're in uh, Tahoe now. I imagine that by the summer you'll be back in New York City. 
I hope so. Am I going to see you on Fire Island? I hope so. I have a share lined up. We do it every year. I've been, I mean, I went to Fire Island like within the first like two months of moving to New York City. And I, I it was so, it was just like, it's like the gayest thing getting thrown in your face. Um, and it's great. And it's like, it's such an amazing place for people to come and just kind of be free, be themselves. Also, the whole place is just so chic. Like the architecture of the homes are amazing. The beaches are incredibly wide and like white sand and everyone's so friendly. It's it's like a little slice of heaven. So I'll definitely see you there. I've already had, I already have my weekends picked out. So we'll have to arrange. It's, it's my favorite place in the world. Uh, and I love asking people what their favorite thing about it is. I think my favorite thing about Fire Island is you can make Fire Island absolutely everything that you want it to be. There is everything that's going on there. If you want to have a really chill, relaxing, beautiful beach vacation, you can absolutely do that. And like cook meals and gorgeous homes and just like have the most relaxing time. But if you want to go party and drink and like get all woohoo, woohoo it up, like Fire Island also has that too. You can absolutely do anything there and you can be as gay as you want there. Nobody cares. And, and how do you approach it? Every weekend's different, man. <laughs> um, you know, I actually was saying that the last past summer that we had with COVID and, you know, most of the bars being closed and no parties happening was my favorite time because I really got to spend close, you know, bonding time with my friends that sometimes we don't really get because we're always so go, go, go. And it was really nice being in a house and just cooking meals and lying out by the pool and going to the beach. Um, so I'm definitely turning down the Nile, the turning down the nod a, lit, a little bit, um, but I'll still be at tea every weekend. It's funny, I love, for, for those people who don't know, every day in the Fire Island Pines, so the Pines is a, is a community, and my favorite part of it is that it is 90% gay, that, that it's the only place in the world you can go where you are 98% of the population. There's nowhere else like it, nowhere. Right. Not, Town, yeah. not Mykonos, nowhere else. And it's one of the things, it's just, it's my favorite thing about it because I don't know if I'd want the whole world like that, but no, this, this escape is nice. <laughs> but every afternoon is the same routine. At six o'clock, this thing, low tea starts, which is everybody goes to a bar and drinks. And then at eight o'clock, high tea starts and everyone goes to a bar and drinks. And so that's what, when Matt mentions low tea, that means he's going to the bar and having some well, nice middle teas. I think middle tea is the best tea. The music is the most fun at middle tea, which they've now introduced. So now it's like, there's three different tiers. I saw that I, I, I've been once or twice, but I just end up having such a good time at low tea that by the time it closes, middle high teas already started. So I'm like, I don't need to stop another place. Totally. But you're right. Last summer we got to go for a week and it was nice not having people be at five o'clock, okay, get ready for tea. It's like, no, we're just having a good time at the house or, you know, friend's house. And we can just kind of chill and hang out and not feel this weird pressure almost to, to go somewhere else. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty magical place. Um, I love it there. Yeah. I also love the deer. Just being in this place where the deer literally- yeah, All the sickly little deer though, you don't want to touch them though. <laughs> I don't want to touch them, but they'll come right up to you. It's crazy. Very friendly, they're, so yeah. they're very friendly. They're so they're used to the the gays running wild. 
there has not been a predator, a predator on Fire Island for so long. The deer have literally forgotten what a predator is. Totally. And, and so they just, they look up at you and just keep eating the grass. They don't care. Yeah, it's wild. Well, Matt, I, I appreciate you, uh, you taking some time and talking with us. It's so important to tell these stories, I think, because everybody connects to a different story differently. And the fact that you don't know of another outspeed skater. I mean, you, you and I met because you heard Hig Roberts story that I did. And, and hopefully a speed skater will hear this conversation and reach out to you and, and me too. Yeah. Thank you so much for letting me tell my story too. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I love speed skating. It has given me everything in the world. Um, I would never regret any of the time I spent on the rink. Um, but it, yeah, I, I'm happy about it. Thanks for letting me share. You can follow Matt Rittenhouse on Instagram at Matt underscore Rittenhouse underscore. But if you just type in Matt Rittenhouse, that's two T's in both. I'm sure you'll be able to track him down. And this reinforces what we tell athletes all the time. It's never too late to tell your story. If you've been retired for a year or five years or 20 years, every story helps somebody else. And I know that, you know, in the speed skating, there's just not a lot of out elite level athletes. So particularly on the men's side, um, as, as, as Matt and I talked about. So if, if you're a speed skater or you're an athlete, and even if you retired years ago, contact us and let us know. We'd love to share your story. I hope you have a great week and we will talk to you soon.